0: Amen. If you have your Bibles this evening and you would open them or turn them on or it'll be behind me we're starting the book of uh, the ninth chapter excuse me of the book of Matthew as we are going through the book of Matthew verse by verse and um, and as I said this morning I am glad that we have comfortable chairs because uh, that'll be the only thing comfortable probably here again tonight and so uh But yet the Word of God is just what it is. And so the Lord knows what we need. He knows the areas of our life that He needs to correct. uh, The areas of our life that He needs to encourage. And so tonight we're going to be continuing a sermon series called Authority and Compassion. And how almost always in human history, people with power and authority abuse that power. But yet Jesus, who has all authority continues to show compassion, to show what it means to love those that the world says are unlovable, to spend time with those that the world says do not deserve the time of day. And I think sometimes we get in this mindset of, now preacher, I welcome anybody who walks through the door. I want to go help anybody regardless of what they look like and regardless of what they do. And I want you to be careful tonight because sometimes we can do things for people who we feel are down and out to make us feel better. Now, I know you've never done that or not, but it can happen. There are times in our life when we can view our acts of charity and love and forgiveness with us as the focus of attention. And so, um, Uh, My kids were informing me this last week that they had given a homeless person $5, and they were just so happy, and they were just so excited. And my first response was, as you know, got scammed out of five bucks probably. But um, then I asked them, I said, well, if it was so special to you, why did you have to tell me about it? The Bible says that we should do good and not let anyone see what we did. And so I was was talking to one of my children, I said, what do you think about that? She goes, it made me really happy to see a homeless person. (laughs) Did you catch that? (laughs) Because literally, that's what they're always looking for, is I want to see a homeless person so we can give them something. I said, did you ever think about praying that maybe that person wouldn't be homeless? Well, No. You see, in their mind, they want to do good, and they did do good. But if we're not careful, we can be like that child. We can see that as long as we can meet people's needs, that we are relevant. You see, we are watching a day and age when the world says that the church is not relevant. You see, worshiping like tonight to the world is not relevant. But I can tell you, if there was one place on this world that I wanted to be on Sunday night, of this week, it was here. And some of you who have been skipping out on the choir, you know that once you start, you got to keep going, all right? And we'll make more room on Sunday morning for you. But it's true. And so the world says, well, worship's not important. The world says that everyone's too busy, and, and what we're doing here tonight doesn't matter. And so the only way that the church can stay relevant is if we try to fix everything. And so you see this movement in social justice, that it's the church's responsibility to feed and fix and meet every physical need, and we should try. But remember that it is not the church's mission to fix the world. It is our job to love those people, to love God and love others. But it is not our job to become the primary place that looks at earthly Needs And you say, Pastor, I strongly disagree with you. Well, that's okay. I would like to show you what Matthew chapter 9 says. So if you would stand with me out of a reverence for the reading of the Word of God. We're going to start in verses 1 and go through verse 12. So he got into a boat and crossed over and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, What do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. And Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office and said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now what happened after Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of physicians, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Pray with me. Father, tonight we thank you for who you are. And Lord, we pray that you would give us discernment, Lord, to know what you want for us. To what you want for us as individuals and as families and as churches. Father, I just pray tonight that you would speak to the hearts, not only in this building, but the youth building. And Father, tonight, for anyone that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that your spirit would begin to work now. Lord, for the Christian who's who's just kind of given up, and Lord, uh, is just coasting that tonight you would reinvigorate them. Lord, to serve you and to love you, and Lord, you'd help us to be who you want us to be for your glory. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight, I want to walk you through this passage of Scripture, and I want to show you what it takes... To be used by God to reach lost and broken people. What it takes for this church to be a church that doesn't just meet superficial needs. The needs of the flesh. But what builds lasting change in lost and dying people. You see, I have seen this in many, many churches. And there are always people that are cycling through churches. There's no matter what you do, there are always people that come and go. And we do our very best to close the back door. But friends, what usually happens is churches decide that there is no need for new people. There is no need for new people to come and be a part because we don't know new people or or they might have a backstory that's different from ours. And what happens is as the front door closes, those inside begin to either die or leave or, and that number shrinks. And so it is vitally important for us as a church to remember that we must continue to seek and save those that are lost. Those that are hurting. Those that are looking for a place to worship God in spirit and truth. We have to believe that God has a purpose and a plan for all people doesn't matter why God brought them here or how He brought them here or for what purpose He brought them for. That's between Him and them. It's our job to make sure that they know that we believe God can change lives, that He can restore the broken, that He can do things that only He can do. And so as we start out here tonight, I want to just walk us through this text and the situation And so it starts in verse 1 and says, So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his old city. Then, behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. If you have your Bibles with me, it's not going to be on the screen because we're just going there for a second. Turn over to Mark chapter 2. This is the same paralytic man that you have heard about In this story, and I want to read it to you because it gives us more details. And again, he entered Capernaum in verse 1 after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together, so there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. When they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And this story is starting to probably become familiar. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And so I want you to hear this because we see in this passage of Scripture that these individuals just didn't do this for their well-being, for them to brag about it. They love this person and they really believe that God could change them. I want to ask you a question. When you reach out to people, when you try to share your faith, when you pray for that coworker, do you really believe that God can save them? Do you really believe that God can change them? Because I think most of us in our heads say, oh yeah, God can change them. Oh, of course God could save that person. But if we were really, really honest, it's been so long for some of you, or if you've never led someone to Jesus, that you don't think God can use you to be a part of that. You don't believe it. You say, oh, Jake, I love it when people are baptized. I love it when when people make professions of faith. I love it when people join the church. Absolutely we do, and we're thankful for that. But I'm telling you, if you have never had the privilege of leading someone to Christ, or it has been many, many years, there is something that will happen to you. You will start to doubt whether God can. You say, oh, not me, Jake, I've never had that doubt. That's okay. I hope that is true but I highly doubt it. You've probably talked to someone at work about your faith and they said that's great for you but that's not what I want. Or maybe you uh, have reached out to that neighbor that's not a Christian or or that's hurting and you've really tried your best to talk to him about the Lord and and to love them and it seems like no avail. But you see these men believe that if they could get their friend to Jesus that Jesus Could change his life. And friends you have to believe that. That if you will share the gospel with people. If you will live your faith so that they can see what Jesus has done to you. And for you. Then friends God can make a difference in their life. Most of us are scared to tell people about Jesus. Because we're afraid that people will then evaluate our lives. It's hard to tell people, you know, Jesus can take every bit of worry and anxiety away from you. And the people you work with, like, man, you got more worry and anxiety than anybody I've ever seen. Or you can talk about, oh, God can give you a peace that passes all understanding. And they look at us and be like, well, ain't not a lot of peace in that life. You see, friends, we have to believe that God can do in us. What he says he can. You see most of us have been beat down. We struggle. We're discouraged. And we don't believe that God can do in us. What he promised to do. Most of us have been discouraged by external forces. Or internal struggles. Or things that happen that we're so overwhelmed. That we are just like this. If I can just get to heaven. If I can just make it. And friends, I believe that's how you ought to live. I'm ready to get to heaven. I'm ready to go to heaven. I'm ready for the rapture to happen. If I fall over right here in this spot tonight, I'm ready to go. I hate it for you because that would be an awkward phone call for my wife, right? That'd be a heartbreaking call. But friends, I'm ready. But you need to live today like you believe that the power of God is not restricted to heaven. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, was poured out where? To the world. And so you have to believe that God can work in your life, in your marriage, and in the lives of other people. And so when I talk to that person that's bitter and angry and, and hates God and the things of God, I have to believe that the Spirit of God can change them. Now, I know you guys have all been saved for so long, but some of you were pretty mean people before you got saved. Some of you probably had some pretty big baggage. Some of you had things in your life that you would never want anyone else to know about, but yet if God saved you, He can save them. If God can work in your marriage, He can work in there. And so we see in this story, these people didn't do this just because they wanted to exercise. I wonder what it takes to lift a man down through a roof on a cot, all right? But they didn't do it for that. They did it because they believed that Jesus Christ can change. And friends, you've got to believe that for your prodigal children. You've got to believe that I'm going to keep praying, I'm going to keep fasting, I'm going to keep seeking the Lord's face because it doesn't matter how far they seem to have fallen. it doesn't mean to see matter how much they are struggling, that I believe that God can change their life. See that's how it starts. Now it's not your belief I believe that, that that makes God do what he does. I believe God does what he does because of who He is. But what does he say there in that text? What does he say in Mark chapter 2, there in verse 1? Mark 2, verse 1, it says. Verse. Well, let's see here. Nope, it's on down farther. We're not going to get to that just yet. Because I don't want to get ahead of myself. But he talks about their faith to believe that God can do what he says he does. You see, we as Baptists have a problem. We have seen too many television preachers say, if you just believe it, God has to do it. And you've seen people like Jesse who gets up there on television, got that Cajun accent. He just, I tell you, God wants me to have that plane. It's such a good plane. And I, <clears throat> sorry, I in my mouth. But um, And we've, we've heard that, that this idea that believe and you get. But yet God wants you to believe him. God wants you to have faith. God wants you to trust Him. But yet, if we were honest, most of us have become comfortable in the results that we have and don't believe that God can change them. One of the most frustrating things is when you have a television remote and the batteries go dead. I've seen it. I can see it on your face right now. You're thinking, oh, you got to get up, don't you? Turn the television. Because something that was supposed to work didn't work. And heaven forbid you should have to watch something that you don't want to watch like commercials. But if the remote don't work, you can do what? Suffer through the commercials. And friends, many of you have been discouraged, defeated, downtrodden. And you have got comfortable with where you're at instead of believing that God can do more. You know how I know that? Because that's where I was. A few months ago when I was ready to resign, I was ready to leave, I, was, I had applications in at all kinds of secular places. Why? Because I didn't think it would be possible that God could still work. And all this COVID and all division and all that's going on in the world, I had just given up. What good does it do to, to pray for people and help people and then watch them do what they do? But the Lord had to remind me that the Lord is in the life-changing business. The Lord is in the saving business. And friends, you and I should meet here every Sunday believing that God can change lives. We ought to come here every Sunday expecting for God to move on someone's heart for them to join. For God to send a family that has never been here before. For God to save. For God to heal. For God to work. Most of us come to church just so that we can leave. Now, I know that's not you because you all come back on Sunday nights. But many people come just because if I go, no one will bother me. If I go, no one will make me feel uncomfortable at work. But you ought to come expecting, come believing. And so Jesus says, son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemes. And so, I think it's important here to realize that I believe some of these scribes said that with the right intent. right? I I believe they thought that this was just a man. They didn't think it was the Son of God. But I do believe that there were many of them that knew that this was the Son of God but yet would not acknowledge it. And so, friends, I want you to be very careful because in church, we call it discernment. And the Bible says you should have it. But I want to caution you because many times our critical judgmental spirits are what we have and we call it discernment. It's kinda like when prayer request time becomes gossip session. That's all right, I don't mind upset you. I told you it was gonna get uncomfortable. Well, you know, so-and-so, they're not doing well. Oh, really? Well, we'll be praying for them. Yeah, they went here and they went there and this happened and now the wife's depressed and now the kids are in distraught and now grandma's doing this and and now their dog got run over and, and 37 minutes later you're going, holy Hanukkah. Friends, it went from a prayer request to a gossip session. And sometimes your prayer request times are someone else's celebration. Don't miss this. I want you to hear this tonight, that not everybody that is listening to you is concerned about you. Some of the people that you are listening to have no desire for you to pray for them. And some of the people that you want to pray for you have no desire to pray for you. Look what it says here in verse 4. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, I could have swore we heard about this this morning, but said, why do you think evil in your hearts for which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins? And then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now you ask yourself this question if you're me why didn't he just say that in the first place and avoid this whole argument? Why didn't he just say, if he knew their hearts and knew their thoughts, pick up your bed and walk? Because everything that Jesus does, everything that the Spirit of God does, is to point people to Jesus Christ. To make you and I have to make a decision, whether to reject Him, whether to love Him, whether to deny Him, whether to embrace Him. And so friends, it's not an accident in your life when the Bible tells you to praise God in the storms, when God tells you to trust Him, to run to Him, to rely to Him, to make much of Him, is because of this what God is allowing you to go through. It is not just for you to have an earthly healing. It's not just for you to have an earthly blessing. It's not just for you to have an earthly encounter. It is for you to be able to point people to Jesus. For you to be able to tell them that he is who he says that he is. Because friends, I cannot save people. You cannot save people. This church cannot save people. But there is one who has the power to forgive sinners. I uh, had a guy who always likes to uh, tease me at church. says, Jake, Jesus Christ dying, buried, and rising from the dead is the only way to get to heaven with one exception. And I went what? He said, unless you're Jesus. And I went, oh, cheesy church joke, but I like it and I'm going to use it. But friends, tonight I want you to hear this, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the only one who has the power to forgive sins. And so while politics are important, if you drive by my house tonight, uh, and you can see I have four signs in my yard. Two of them say, this home supports law enforcement. Thank you. And there are two signs that say, just say no to socialism. All right? I believe that you ought to to stand for your principles. I have no problem with you promoting them. But remember, being a capitalist won't send you to heaven. But it sure is better than being a socialist. Being one political party over the other won't send you to heaven, but I believe there's one that's better than the other. You see, being a Baptist, I think it's better than the rest, but it still won't get you to heaven. You see, it's about Jesus. And friends, what people need to hear is Jesus. The fact that Jesus Christ died upon the cross. The fact that Jesus loves people and that Jesus has the authority and the compassion to forgive people of sin. Because look what it goes on and says. Now, when the multitude saw it, they marveled and what? Glorified God, who had given such power to men. And I want to continue on with this because right here in the middle of all these miracles, if you remember chapter 8, God was healing and he was working and he was moving. And here in just a moment, it's going to be that Jesus restored life and a woman was healed and a blind man was healed and the mute speak. But right here in the middle of all these miraculous things, Matthew gives us the account of his encounter with Jesus. And I think that is interesting because why? If you are here tonight and you are a Christian, a true born-again believer of Jesus Christ, And I ask you, what is the greatest miracle that ever happened to you? You should say, I've been born again. I've been made whole. Now, you might have a testimony that you've been cured of cancer. You might have a testimony that you've been uh, cured of being an alcoholic. You might have a testimony that you've been uh, changed from being a homosexual. You might be here tonight and say, my testimony is that God broke me of being a liar. All those things are wonderful. But the greatest miracle that God ever did for you was saving you. And right here in the middle of all these miracles, which what we would want to see, right? We see Matthew's testimony. And I think it is this. Most of the time, we get so focused on the flashy things of life that we forget the most important Most of the time, we get so focused on the bells and whistles of things that we forget the purpose of things. I have a a 1994 Chevy pickup truck with 255,000 miles, and it has recently been repainted, and it's getting ready to make its grand appearance here shortly. But you know what? Half the time, the air conditioner doesn't work. Half the time, the cruise control doesn't work. And you know what's really frustrating to me when it goes out at the same time? Because not only do I have to have my foot on the pedal, I'm sweating. It's not good to be fat and have to do something, all right? But you know what? I can live without air conditioning. I can live without cruise control. I'm glad that Ronnie fixed it so now that it all works, but, or Tom or whoever worked on it. But friends, most of us are so focused on the accessories. My wife's van, that big church bus, I don't steal the church bus and let my wife drive it, okay? That is our very own version, okay? It's got one of those backup cams in it, and I get it and think, oh, this is so cool. I don't even look behind me anymore. I just watch the camera. That's not a good idea, I know, right? And some of these cars, they got more bells and whistles that you can't even get out of your driveway. You're pushing buttons, and it's honking, and it's beeping, and it's and But it's always supposed to get you from one point to another as safely as possible. And most of us want to see God do things that are wonderful, that are flashy, that catch everyone's attention. A few years ago, I'm going to get myself in trouble, but I'm not worried. There is a certain area in town that you drive under that collects water. We call it the viaduct. One year, we spent days weeding it, painting it, cleaning it, making it look the greatest thing you've ever seen. And I bet there was, oh, I don't know, how many people said, oh, it looks great, it looks wonderful. And I think we got a little prideful because the Lord let someone jump right up on top of them and put a great big beer sign right on top. And someone asked me, "Is that your sign too?" No, it's not. It's not our sign. See, I know I shouldn't have said it, but it's true. But friends, most of us are looking for that. We're looking for things that wow and wonder. But what God is looking for is just changing hearts. God, God is just as pleased, and the heavens rejoice just as much. When that little seven or eight year old kid steps out in faith and comes and put their faith and trust in Jesus as that 65 year old alcoholic who everyone else has given up on. God and the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents and is saved. It doesn't say qualifications. It doesn't say which kind of sinners that God rejoices the most over. But I don't know how many times I've heard people say, well, oh, it's just kids getting saved. It's just kids getting saved. Why don't adults get saved? I don't know, maybe because adults are stubborn and hard-hearted. But we should rejoice when God saves. We should rejoice when God works. You see, God is at work. And what we see here in Matthew, and I want to read this is, friends, until you believe that what God has done for you is salvation is the most special and wonderful miracle that He has ever performed. Friends, you'll always be searching for an experience. I need a better worship service. I need a better song leader. I need louder music. I need better preaching. I need cooler lights. I need all of these things. And what Jesus wants you to know is, that when He saved you, it was enough. Now I'm not saying you don't need all those other things. But listen to what it says here in verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to me, him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the ta- table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, let's stop there. Do you find it interesting that in the first point he knows what they're thinking and in the second part he hears it? I find that very interesting. And I think it is because of this. Sometimes we've told ourselves that as long as I tell you what I'm thinking, you ought to be okay with that. Not everything you think ought to come out of your mouth. And lots of things are said in the church. By people that go to church. That should never be said. Doesn't matter if it's true or not. Doesn't matter if what you feel or not. And what I think we see here is. That a judgmental heart. Is known by God. A critical spirit is known by God. Whether you say it. Or whether you think it. That's why the Bible says when sin starts and then it gives birth and it desires, then it works its way out. Right out of the mouth comes the abundance of the heart. Some people say, well, I'm not critical about everything. I'm just critical, critical about the right things. You will be known by what? Your fruit. And can a tree produce both good fruit and bad fruit. And so that song that I was reading from you this morning finishes up like this. And I didn't want to read it this morning because I know I'd be talking about it tonight. Talks about the fact that everybody else is a hypocrite. There's no one else that can be saved but me. And so he quit the church and started praying. And as he looked around he started to realize that maybe the problem wasn't everybody else but the problem was me. And he says as I bent down and prayed I realized the only shoe that this fit on was me. And he realized at that point in this song that the problem wasn't everybody else. The problem was me. But it finishes like this. I knelt down and prayed and the Lord met me there. You see friends, tonight I want you to know something that I'm not trying to preach about you being critical because I want you to know that you're critical. I want you to know tonight that God can change you. God can give you a spirit that loves people, that loves church, that loves the things of God. That's not burdened by those that are broken or hurting. Because look what it says here in verse 12. Then Jesus heard that. He said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners, to repentance. And so we see this identity that Christ is telling them that you who think you're well are not going to be helped. You who think that you have it all figured out are not going to be made right. And this is where in every single sermon a pastor scolds the congregation For thinking they're better than lost people. But I want to tell you something tonight. That I think that truly saved people. With the spirit of God in them. Know. That we're not better than anyone. And tonight if you have a serious judgment problem. With looking down on other people. It's because maybe you've never experienced. What it looks like to be rescued from your sin. You see, Jesus tells them that he wants them to show mercy and grace. You say, well, pastor, we're a friendly church. We talk to everybody that comes in. Well, I would say we're not as friendly as we think we are. But two, I want you to know that loving, hurting, and broken people, loving the people that Jesus is talking about, takes more effort than speaking to them at church on Sunday. It means taking a 2 a.m. phone call for the third time in a month because the husband has come home and is, is messed up and he's laying in the yard. It's, it's taking that phone call that I've quit my fourth job because I can't get along with my boss and everything in you wants to just slap him in the back of the head and say, the bosses aren't the problem. It's understanding that Christians stumble and struggle that are new in their faith. It means giving people second chances and third chances and fourth chances. It means walking with people as they stumble and struggle and fall. You see, most of us want God to send new people and want God to save sinners. But my question is, are you willing to walk with them any other time than on Sunday morning? Are you willing to invest in people that you know might hurt you? Are you willing to sacrifice for people that might take advantage of you? You see, are you willing to extend mercy even when it hurts? Because Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And friends, we need to get back to believing that God will save sinners but I believe God doesn't save in most churches because of this people wouldn't want them once he sent them he wouldn't think about this how many times has a new Christian started out been been working and been on fire for God and someone say well I remember what it was like when I first got saved that'll wear off You've probably even said it. I'll never forget when I came back to the Lord and from being an alcoholic and being a, a living in taverns and all the wickedness of my life. You know, and on a Wednesday night one time I said, I, I think we need to just go out and visit everybody. Just visit everybody. Someone said, Oh, we've tried that visiting people and it just don't work. And most churches don't try anything because they've tried it and it didn't work. And so tonight I want to challenge you with this. I want to challenge you this week to take a step of faith and do something that you've tried before, even if you didn't think it worked. And this is the reason. God does not require you to produce results. He asks you to be obedient. You say, Jake, I've, I've invited 72 people to church and no one's ever came. Maybe next time, tell them about Jesus. Just ask them, what do you believe about heaven? What do you believe about what's going to happen to you after you die? Now, I wouldn't lead with that question, because people might think you're a mass murderer, okay? But I want to challenge you this week. As a husband, maybe maybe you say, well, I'm, I'm going to extend grace to my wife, but I know that if I do that, she's just going to take advantage of it. Maybe tonight you say, hey, I'm going to have my grandkids over the next few weeks as they're out of school or, or as we're spending time together as a family. And, and we don't ever talk about the Bible. We don't ever pray as a family. And next time you sit down to eat as a family, say, <clears throat> if you guys don't care, would you bow your heads to pray? Now, some of you are saying, well, who would, who would eat without praying? It happens. So tonight I want to challenge you to believe that Jesus can save people even in your own home. Even people that you've given up with. Even people you've invited and talked to a thousand times to this week believe that God can do something miraculous in their life and in yours. I'm telling you what, you know what this church needs? It needs some of you to win people to Jesus. I I sit right over there and it's no... No secret. And during the song service, I sing as loud as I can. And usually I don't even sing the right words. I close my eyes and Jamie's on a verse and I'm on a different verse and I don't even care. You know why? Because I long ago realized that coming to church and lip singing is no fun. Gets nothing. Most of you are so terrified that the person in front of you is going to hear. Bob and Betty got, had, got stuck sitting in front of me today. I was sitting back with my kid, and I just singing real loud. I thought, don't worry, Bob can't hear me anyway. It didn't bother me. But I thought, oh, poor Betty. She's standing right there in front of me, and I'm just singing, and I'm singing the wrong words, and my kids are crying, and I didn't care. Why? Because I believe God wants us to make a joyful noise doesn't matter if it's joyful to you, it's joyful to me. You see, most of us have given up believing what God wants to do through us. That we've just stopped doing it. And so tonight I want to challenge you to believe that Jesus is the one who can forgive sins. Believe that Jesus can change the life of anyone and be obedient to what God has asked you to do. Regardless of of who he asks you to love. You know, sometimes we think that reaching the broken means that we're only going to reach the, the drug addict, and those that the world has said is so difficult. But most of us would have more trouble talking to a family member that we love than someone that we don't. Especially if you love that family member. My grandfather was not a Christian my entire life. My grandpa Gray. He's a wonderful grandfather, a Hard man, for sure. Didn't vote the same way I do, but I loved him anyway. And um, um, invited him to every church play. I can remember as a little kid being terrified to invite him to a Christmas play or an Easter play. But he would always come. But he was not a believer. Wasn't a believer. Wasn't a believer. And you know what happened in my life? I just kind of gave up. Got involved in church. Wouldn't invite him. Wouldn't invite him. Gave my life to the Lord in December. January come, I thought, I need to invite my grandpa. I need to talk to him about the Lord. Monday came, or excuse me, Monday. February came. March came. April came. I felt like I might be called to preach. Oh, I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't talk to him about it. June came. And July came. That July, my brother was killed. I got the privilege to speak at his funeral. My grandfather was saved. You see, most people had given up. He's a hard man that lives in Walpole, and, and it can't be done. My other grandfather was saved. I had an uncle that was saved. You see, friends, most of us have given up that God can save, and so we won't do anything with it. And so tonight, I want to challenge you to believe that God can still change lives. God can still reach the people you love, the people you don't love. But remember tonight that God wants you to be obedient, regardless of the cost. So tonight, would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I know that I never do it justice. But I pray, Lord, tonight that your people wouldn't hear me. but They'd hear you. Father tonight I pray for these individuals here as you send them forth to Lord give them a boldness to talk about you. To tell others what you have done in their life. And Father tonight for anyone that's here that doesn't know you Lord that tonight would be that night that they would step out in faith and say I'm ready to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Father that person who's drifted from you who's still struggling in so many areas tonight they would be Willing to come and say. Lord I want you to use me. And I pray Lord tonight. For each one listening to my voice. That you would give them the courage. To do something this week. That they've quit doing. Or don't think that you can do. And so Father we're praying for a great result. Not for our glory. Not for a, a strategy. But Lord that you would do something. That the world would say. God did that. And so, Father, as this time of invitation comes, I pray that you would work. In Jesus' name, amen.